Well, I got to say, I'm really proud of each one of you for making it. You, you have, I've told the tech team that they have graduated from wimphood. If you made it this morning, you are not a wimp. You, you, this is good, and I'm really, really proud of you. And I also thought, you know, with the frozen pipes, especially concerning the restrooms, that someone said we probably should put a a notice out that, you know, says that we have frozen pipes. And I, I wasn't really sure what to say. You know, maybe uh, go before you come. Well, uh, that would be inappropriate to say publicly, wouldn't it? I, anyway, I'm glad you're here. Really, really. Thank you. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Whether you're online or in-house, you're welcome. You're welcome. Let's start off with a parable. On a dangerous sea coast where shipwrecks often happen, there was a crude little life-saving station. The building was no more than a small hut. They only had one boat and just a few devoted members who would keep watch over their part of the coastline. Every day they would go out in search of people or vessels that had found trouble or had lost their way. And as time went by, those who were saved at sea and others who had heard about this little life-saving station, why, they all wanted to join in the effort and be a part of this coastal rescue. And with more people joining and more time and more money became available, so some new boats were bought and new crews were trained, and this little life-saving station, it grew and more time passed, and the, and the people wanted to be better equipped for those that came in from the sea, so the building was expanded to accommodate more beds and a better recovery area. And the life-saving station became a popular gathering place for its members because it wasn't just about going out and looking for them. Well, they, they enjoyed their time together, too, in this place, and so they thought with us, being here together, well, why don't we make more beautiful decorations and furnish it, maybe even exquisitely? Let's, let's make this place look great. So fewer members, as time went on, were interested in going out to the sea for life-saving missions. So well, they hired a lifeboat crew, and, and that grew to another crew and another crew. They would handle that. And shortly thereafter, a large ship was wrecked off their coast. And the hired lifeboat crews would bring in that day boatloads of cold, wet, and half-drowned people. And, and they were dirty, and they were sick, and they were some of them were foreigners. And the beautiful new facility was, well, it was in chaos, so immediately the property committee hired someone to rig up a shower that would be outside of their building so that when the victims of shipwrecks would come, well, they, they would get a chance to be cleaned up first before they came inside, right? Well, at the next meeting, there was a split in the membership. Most of the members, they just wanted to stop the life-saving activities because those that were being rescued, why, they were disrupting their life on the coast, and only a small number of the members insisted on life-saving as their primary purpose, and they pointed out that they were still called a life-saving station. Well, the small, smaller number of members was voted down and told that if they wanted to save lives, so that they could begin another life-saving station down the coast. 
so they did. And as years would go by, this new station experienced the same thing that the old station had. It would evolve into a coastal club, and another life-saving station would begin further down the coast. And that history just kept repeating itself for decades until now, as you go to that coastline area today, it's just one exclusive club after another. Shipwrecks still happen, but there's no one involved in any kind of rescue. Well, how about that for a story to begin 2024, huh? Yeah. Well, it does point itself to the power of this series, the power of re. There are so many re words packed with dynamite in God's written word. Words like renew, recreation, redemption. Resurrection, reward, restoration, reborn. And when a word begins with re and the God of creation is behind it, then everything is on the table and everything that's on the table is possible. And nowhere is that more true than with this word, repent. Now, if you're looking for a word count, repent is used 11 times in Jeremiah, 10 times in Revelation, but repentance is mentioned in 24 of the 66 books in the Bible. It's an important concept for all of the biblical writers, and its definition is really pretty straightforward. Turn back to God. Change your thinking back to him. Change your direction back on him. Look how Jesus put it. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Jesus says, remember my words Hold them fast. He expands. Matthew recorded it in his account. Look at this, chapter 13, verse 15. For this people's heart has become calloused, Christ says. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their ears, hear with their e- see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn. Turn. And when they would turn, Jesus says... I will heal them. The definition of repentance is found in this. Turn your entire focus and purpose in life on Jesus Christ. This is the most difficult turn any of us will ever face in our existence on earth. The reason? Because it means you have to turn away from yourself in order to turn to Christ. And how I perceive me and how I want others to perceive me is my natural obsession, and it's yours too. It's yours too. Let me prove this to you with four rhetorical questions. Listen, have any of us become bitter about the times we've been slighted or our rights not respected? Number two, have any of us performed just for the praise of others? 
Number three, are any of us prone to complain that we don't have all that we deserve and compare ourselves in self-pity to those who have more? And number four, do any of us fully believe that whatever benefits we receive from the hand of God flow only from grace and are completely undeserved? I told you I could prove it to you. It is the most difficult turn that any of us will ever face, turning from self and onto Christ. But it's a turn, it's an effort, it's a process that we must make. We must make. Look what Paul said to some unbelievers one time. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands and is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to turn, turn from that to repent. So that answers the question on who needs to repent. Well, that would be everyone, all. The focus was never meant to be on human ingenuity or human achievement or human imagination. Look again at God's written word. The message that points to Christ on the cross seems like sheer silliness to those hell-bent on destruction. But for those on the way of salvation... It makes perfect sense. This is the way God works, and most powerfully, as it turns out. It's written, I'll turn conventional wisdom on its head. I'll expose so-called experts as shams. So where can you find someone truly wise, truly educated, truly intelligent in this day and age? Hasn't God exposed it all as pretentious nonsense? Since the world and all its fancy wisdom never had a clue when it came to knowing God... Christ is God's ultimate miracle and wisdom all wrapped up in one. Human wisdom is so cheap, so impotent. Next to the seeming absurdity of God, human strength can't begin to compete with God's weakness. Someone says, but you will think of all that you'll miss and the people that follow Christ, all that they'll miss by pursuing God and his kingdom first. Think of all the great scholars and the intellectual giants that you'll bypass by seeking first God and his kingdom. How do we respond to that? Well, you know, I think the way that we respond to it is the same way when Jesus was saying some really tough things in the sixth chapter of John. He was talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And people said, what, what, are, what, are, you, what are you, a cannibal? What, what are you saying? And the teaching was hard for them to hear. And after they finished the teaching, the scripture actually says that the people that were listening just began to disperse. They just said, okay, that's it. I'm not listening to this guy anymore. And after they all took off, Jesus looked at his 12 disciples, his 12 disciples and said, y'all going to leave too? Remember what Peter responded? Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. 
Can any other human sophisticate make such a claim? Has any other human sophisticate ever made that claim? Well, they'd either be the height of arrogant <laughs> or it's true. Jesus actually has the eternal words of life. We've got to turn from our all-consuming passion of this human experience. We've got to turn from that to just wanting to know Christ and be filled with his spirit. And that's everything. Why repent? Because he searched for you and he... And he found you. He's been coming after you since he knit you together in your mother's womb. I think we only have one example in all of the Bible of God and people rejoicing together, rejoicing in heaven and rejoicing on earth. You know what that example is? It's when one sinner repents. Jesus said that when a shepherd has a hundred sheep and one gets away, he goes after that one until he finds it. Pick up the verse in verse 5 of Luke 15. And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And Jesus immediately follows that story with a story about a woman who had 10 silver coins, and one of them was misplaced. And so she just starts ransacking the place, trying to find it. Pick up the text again in verse 9. And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. And you know those two stories are followed by our favorite story, the story of the prodigal son. And here, this is the time that now the father is talking with the older brother who's hacked that the younger son is returned. And look how this story ends. The father says to his older son, we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He, he was lost and is found. This is the why of repentance. Why do we repent? <laughs> because we don't want to be lost. We want to be found. Look at Romans 2.4. Look at this. Do you show contempt? For the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Maybe a part of the problem is our view of God and his kindness. Maybe that's what's out of whack. Dr. Harry Fosdick, who pastored in New York in the 1900s, would often counsel students from Columbia University. And one evening, a student told him that he could just no longer believe in God. I just can't do it. And so Dr. Fosdick sits down with him, and he says, well, tell me about this God that you can no longer believe in. And this student began to sketch his idea of God. And you know how Fosdick responded? He said, you know what? We're in the same boat. I don't believe in that God either. 
Jesus took the wrath of God that was coming to me because of my sin. Without Jesus, I will not escape the wrath of God. Look what Jesus said about this. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Those in Christ will never see God's wrath. Now, that's the truth about God. I can believe in a God like that. He's provided a foolproof escape plan from his wrath, and it's through Christ. He's calling me to repent from not believing in Christ, to believing in Christ so that his wrath, the wrath of God for my sin, will not even be a factor. It's not sinners in the hands of an angry God. It's believers in the hands of a singing and dancing God. When was the last time you read Zephaniah 3.17? you got to see this from some of the other translations and paraphrases. Look at, look at the Good News translation. The Lord your God is with you. His power gives you victory. The Lord will take delight in you and his love and in his love he will give you new life. He will sing and be joyful over you as joyful as people at a festival. Look at this from the Tree of Life version. Adonai, we know that name. Adonai your God is in your midst a mighty Savior. He will delight over you with joy. He will quiet you with his love. He will dance for joy over you with singing. Now, you look at this Romans 2.4 again. Read that to yourself. If we really know the kindnesses of God... We would repent. We would turn away from wherever we're heading, whatever we're thinking, and we would put it all on him. Now, in a, in a very fast sermon so far, we've talked about what repentance is. We've talked about who needs it. We've talked about why. We've talked about why it's needed. Well, how do we do it? Well, the book of Ezra talks about people mourning over their sin, talks about people weeping, tearing their garment, tearing their hair, wearing sackcloth, making restitution, abasing themselves. <laughs> I know this, where God is looking on this whole repentance matter is not on the outside. If that happens, you follow the Lord. But it has to start from within. He's looking here. Look at this quote from Tozer. The reason why many people are still troubled, still seeking, still making little forward progress is because they haven't yet come to the end of themselves. We're still trying to give the orders and interfering with God's work within us. Maybe the how-to of repentance is more about just 
coming to the end of myself. Admitting that I, I, I don't have anything to offer God. It, admitting that when it comes to bringing on his favor, I, I can't do that. I can't make myself more favorable to God. You know, your parents and grandparents and great-grandparents, they sang this line regularly when they came to worship. And the line is simply this, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. They got that. They realized it wasn't based on them. Look at this wisdom from C.S. Lewis. Fallen man is not simply an imperfect creature who needs improvement. He's a rebel. A rebel who must lay down his arms. Laying down your arms, surrendering, saying you're sorry, realizing that you've been on the wrong track and getting ready to start life over again from the ground floor. This process of surrender, this movement full speed astern is what Christians call repentance. God wants us to repent from anything that we think will save us besides Jesus. God wants us to repent from anything that we have put our confidence in besides Jesus. God wants us to repent of any sin and my utter hopelessness. He wants me to repent of any sin and my utter hopelessness to do anything about it apart from Jesus. Jeremiah, the Lord's prophet, wrote, After I strayed, I repented. After I came to understand, I beat my breast. I was ashamed and humiliated because I bore the disgrace of my youth. So when and where do we repent? Well, when we've strayed, when we've come to understand more clearly the kindnesses of God, when we're ashamed, when we're humiliated, uh, humiliated, that's where we need and when we need to repent. Right then, right there. Don't wait a moment longer. One of Jesus' closest followers said this a few years after Jesus resurrected. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Hear me out, people. The time and the place to repent is always here and now. Always here and now. Father, as we begin this new year, we can reflect back in 2023 in too many times that we were not running toward you and thinking on you. And we want to start a new habit of running to you, of attending regularly, of reading our Bibles regularly, of walking with you, of thinking of you regularly closing those gaps between our thoughts of you to where it's constant. We're always conversing. We're always talking. We're always praying. 
Hear us, Father, as we sing. We repent. We repent. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, church, let's stand.